This is the Drummer's Resource Podcast, session 18, and the quote of the day is from Rick Godwin, who said, one reason people resist change is that they focus on what they have to give up rather than what they have to gain. You're listening to the Drummer's Resource Podcast. I'm your host, Nick Ruffini, and we're coming at you with information, education, and motivation for drumming and beyond. What's going on, everybody? Nick Ruffini here with another session of the Drummer's Resource Podcast. And I want to thank everybody, first and foremost, for all the reviews and the ratings on iTunes. I really do appreciate it. And I get a lot of messages on Facebook and Twitter and, you know, people tell me how much they like the podcast. And I really, really do appreciate it. And if you haven't already, leave a review on iTunes or rate the podcast. Uh, that would be that would be super super helpful for me. And thank you to everybody who sent some positive feedback on the first solo podcast that I did last week. I hope that everybody got a little bit of useful knowledge out of that. It was really fun doing it. So I'm gonna uh, I'm gonna do them a little bit more frequently, but not too often. Maybe you know one or two a month uh, just to just to keep the content fresh. And an update with the Stanton Moore interview. We got hammered with snow here on the East Coast the last couple of days, so Stanton and I were not able to get together due to inclement weather. So I don't know exactly when we're going to get that interview in. Uh, We talked back and forth, and he's on the road there for a while, not anywhere close to here uh, in New York. So not quite sure when we're going to hook up. We're going to make it happen, though. We may do it over the phone, but uh, I think I'd rather do it in person. But I don't know. We'll see what happens. I'll definitely keep you posted on that. So that's the bad news. The good news is we have Ari Honig today for the podcast, and Ari is a Brooklyn guy. He's originally from Philadelphia, which is awesome. That's where I'm originally from. So we have that we have that thing going on, and he's also a Bosphorus artist like myself. He just came out with his own line of symbols through Bosphorus. So we're going to talk about that a little bit, and a little bit about Ari. He's a he's a heavy hitter in the jazz world, and he moved to Brooklyn after he was at North Texas where he played in the prestigious one o'clock lab band. And he has played with everybody from the Kenny Werner trio to Chris Potter's underground, Joshua Redmond's elastic band, jazz mandolin pod project, excuse me. And has played in bands led by Wayne Krantz, Mike Stern, Pat Martino, Dave Liebman. So he's been, he's been around and, uh, uh look, <laughs> Daniel glass just texted me. That's pretty funny. Uh, so yeah, Ari has been been around for for a while and is definitely a amazing player and he has this unique approach to playing, not unique approach, but he has this um unique style that he has and he's really really melodic and and we talk about that a little bit in the interview and his approach to melodic drumming and and just a, a slew of information that he that he gives us. So it's great to have him on the show. So I'm going to stop talking and we're going to get into the interview. Thank you so much for listening. And here's the Ari interview. Enjoy. All right. Thanks so much, man. I really appreciate you doing this. I know that you're getting ready to leave for, for tour soon. So I appreciate you taking some time. Yeah, no problem. So we were just talking about how we're freezing our asses off here in, uh, in New York and, and, uh, but you're getting ready to head to the West coast on tour, right? Uh, as long as my flight leaves, um, with the, the storm coming tomorrow. So we'll see. Yeah. What's there? So this is, I think this is the fifth podcast in a row that we've started off talking about weather. And I don't know how it happens, but like somehow every podcast starts with us talking about weather and snowstorms and polar vortexes. So we're keeping with the, we're keeping with the same, uh, the same system here. Well, I guess, you know, that's what's on people's minds, especially, uh, East coast right now, but. Yeah, I don't know when people are going to hear this. It'll probably be summertime by then. <laughs> yeah, they're going to be like, "What the hell are these guys talking about? They're freezing." <laughs> um, so so how long are you heading out for? Um, about a week and a half. Oh, okay, nice, nice. And who are you going on tour with? With Kenny Werner, with his trio, we're going to uh, kind of all over the West Coast, San Diego up to Vancouver. Um, yeah, bunch of places. Good deal. Good deal. Good deal. Yeah. So we were, uh, we're, we're both from the Philadelphia area, uh, which is kind of cool. So it's always good to have people locally, you know, that are, that are on the show. Now we're both in New York. Um, That's the only reason I'm talking to you right now. (laughs) (laughs) 
<laughs> yeah, well, I saw you at Nam. I was like, hey, man, I'm Nick. We're both Bosphorus artists. I'm from Philly, too. And you're like, give me a hug, man. I'm sorry about the Eagles. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm really sorry for the vibe before. Man. I didn't realize you were from Philly. <laughs> <laughs> Oh, I, I'll give you nice to now. You're fulfilled. I didn't realize it. <laughs> um, so, but getting started, you know, back in Philly, I always like to get the backstory of, of how people, how people got started. So how did you get into playing? Um, well, my parents are both classical musicians. Um, so I started music really early. I started uh, with uh, violin and, and piano. And um, when I was 12, I started, I switched to the drums um, because it was kind of the one instrument they didn't know anything about, you know, it being not being really having any kind of classical history, um, at least the drum set. And, uh, um, they couldn't really tell me how to practice. So, um, I had, you know, some independence rolled up in, in that decision as well. Right. So when you were, uh, when you were just getting into it, so did you go through lessons or were you self-taught or? Um, I did take some lessons at first. Um, let's see. I mean, you know, I mean, I, I can, I, I mean, nobody's really, I mean, in, in a way everybody's self-taught and, 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 and also in a way everybody has teachers, you know, mm -hmm. um, people that consider themselves self-taught because I mean, my, you know, I mean, I had definitely had formal lessons, um, at different parts of, uh, you know, through, throughout, you know, different parts of my life. But, right. um, but I think that, you know, just as important is just, you know, the things that you learn from people that you're not studying with from either from records or from watching people play or, or even, you know, listening to the radio and trying to play along. I mean, that's what I, that's what really what I did at first. Right. Um, and just, you know, just putting on whatever, you know, radio station and seeing if I could play the drum part. Mm-hmm. Well, that that was going to be my next question. Were you always um, were, were you always into the jazz scene, or did you start out playing rock like everybody else, or playing classic rock and whatever was on the radio at the time? Um, I did. I kind of did both uh, at the same time. Uh, I mean, I had certain you know things that were. Um, uh, I had like Philadelphia is is really good for you know, certain youth like jazz programs and mm -hmm. ensembles and stuff like that. And, and I, I took part in quite a few of those types of things. So I had, I was exposed to it. Um, although, you know, it was, I, I, I can't say that I really liked it until I was maybe 16 or something like that. But, um, uh, uh you know, at the same time, yeah, of course, you know, I played, I played to, you know, I played along to, you know, my favorite rock records and metal and, uh, um, and, you know, earlier than that, even like pop, just trying to, you know, like I said, just trying to play the beats on things. So, mm -hmm. um, it, it, everything was, you know, really, I was really enthusiastic just about learning period at that point. And, and, um, you know, it wasn't so much about, you know, what kind of music I didn't really, that hadn't really settled to me. The I didn't have any judgments, you know, or, or whatever about, um, types of music or anything like that. Right, right, right. So, who were the cats that you were checking out in Philly? Oh well, um, uh, Mickey Roker. Yeah. As far as drummers, you know Byron Landham. Um, uh, man, there's there's a lot. Duck Scott. There was a drummer named Duck Scott. I don't know if you know him. Why does that name ring a bell? And Shirley Scott's son. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, somebody. I feel like I just had a conversation about about him recently and I can't remember who it was with. Uh Craig MacGyver. I don't remember. Um uh Ralph Peterson when he was living there. Mm -hmm. Um he was living there for a little while. Um Eric Johnson. Yep. Um my teacher um through throughout high school was Carl Matola. Mm -hmm. And um and so definitely him watching him play and, and also studying with him. Uh, it was a big influence. And, um, um, yeah, I mean, th those guys, there was, there was also, also a big influence was, uh, John Roberts, mm -hmm. uh, little John. Yeah. And he, um, uh, we played in the all city band together. Oh, for, okay. So I got to watch him play. 
a lot. And uh, um, so he was actually a really massive influence on me early on. Um, there's, you know, there's definitely a, a rich history in, in Philly of great, uh, great players, great jazz um, that I feel like, I feel like it's, it's kind of diminished a little bit, you know, over the last, I don't know, 15 or 20 years. Um, but I think that, you know, when you were coming up through Philly, it was a great time to be in Philly and to be playing jazz and learning jazz just because of the, of the history that was there. Would you agree yeah. with that? Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, that's, that's for sure. Um, you know, I was, I was very lucky. Uh, I mean, I, I not even, you know, I didn't, I, I wouldn't even say that I had like a path that I wanted to be a, a jazz drummer. It was more that you know the the circumstances around me influenced me to do that, and and right. Philadelphia uh, was was kind of integral in that happening. Mm-hmm. Really, um, just all the things that were going on, and um, you know, I, I wouldn't, I don't think I would even have done that at all if it, if, if I was from uh, you know a small town in Connecticut where they don't have any uh, any of those kind of programs. Right, but that was actually leading up to my next question. At what point in your in your life were you like, okay, this is what I'm going to do for a career? I'm not going to try to, you know, go work at Google or something. I'm going to, you know, oh, I'm going to play a drum. on Connecticut, by the way. I should have said Vermont, really. <laughs> that's, that's better. Everybody in Connecticut's like, hey, forget, yeah. <laughs> no, Vermont. Right. Small town in Vermont. There, there you, you go. <laughs> <laughs> I don't mind that. Okay, sorry. What was your <laughs> – Well, I was just wondering when – you know, I think it, it. We all get to a point in our career when y- there's a fork in the road, and you're like, "Am I going to do this, or am I going to do this as a hobby?" You know. So, you know, how old were you when you were like, "You know what? This is what I'm going to do for a living, and by any means necessary, I'm going to pursue this dream." Um. Well, I was. Uh, um, I was 17. Um, probably towards the end of that, I remember, you know, going through that exact question, uh, when I was 17 and, um, and, you know, thinking that, you know, I, I did have something to like, you know, thinking of what I could kind of fall back on or whatever, but, mm-hmm. um, you know, at that point when you're, you know, you're in high school and people are asking like, what do you want to do for a living? Um, you know, you're not really thinking like, oh, what do I really love to do? Right. You're thinking of like, well, what do the people around me think that is okay for me to do to make a living? <laughs> right. <You know? laughs> and then just pick one and then I guess I'll try to do it. I guess know? I'll go do that, right. <laughs> I mean, um, <laughs> so, and, and, you know, you don't, you know, I, you don't develop confidence either until much later. So, um, but, but I, I would say by the time I was 18 for sure, I mean, I had enough confidence that I knew that I wanted to give it a go. Right. Um, and, uh, and that was, you know, really going to be my first choice and that, um, you know, I was, I, I I was relatively confident at that time, even, you know, I would say. And I think that that plays a large part in success and whatever it is, whether you're going to be a drummer or a lawyer or anything else, you know, that you have to believe in yourself before anybody else is going to believe in you. And if you doubt yourself and there's constantly like, ah, maybe this isn't, maybe this isn't the right path or maybe I'm not good enough to do this or, you know, I don't have the talent to do it. I feel like it always leads you to be one foot in, one foot out kind of, Mm -hmm. you know, so where it's like, if you fail, you're like, well, I kind of knew I was going to fail anyway. So I'm not, I'm not too worried about it. So would you agree that, you know, having the, having the confidence to do it is, is something that helped you along the way? Well, yeah. I mean, I, I, I wasn't tremendously confident. I, ju- I, I just had barely enough confidence to kind of keep going to right. do, you know, right, right, I mean, right. at that time. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, you build confidence just – I think that, you know, somebody who's like a, in, in reality uh, builds confidence due to their surroundings and be, due to like um, what, they, what they see of, as, you know, if, if they see them – like if I if I thought that I was a good player and that I had a, um, you know that I was making you know progress in a in a you know fast way and then I would that would give me confidence if I, right. um, if I had a lot of uh, 
uh, negative feedback uh, that would make me un- unconfident. Mm-hmm. So, um, I mean, it's it's really to do with uh, I think a lot a lot to do with other people and also how you see yourself. Uh, right. But so I you know I, I wasn't that confident. But and, but the other thing is that you know um, dealing with failure um, is is also really huge because everybody fails. Everybody has failures. Everybody, you know, um, in whatever you do. And, uh, you know, some people have the ability to make that, make them, you know, to get stronger because of that. Mm-hmm. Um, and some people don't, uh, right. so it makes them weaker. And so I think that's actually what it kind of comes down to is, is that, you know, mentality of, is it okay to fail? Is it okay to play bad or, um, to, you know, drag on the song or to, you know, like, um, not get the gig that you thought that you were going to get or not get called back for another gig or, um, get fired, you know, right. or, uh, whatever it is, um, that, you know, that, that you're going to fail at, um, learning from it, you know, and coming back stronger. Right. Yeah. What's it's, I forget who said it, but it's, you know, it's not, it's not about failure. It's about what you learn from your failure and how you recover from the failure yeah. you know, and definitely learning from mistakes. Because like you said, everybody gets fired. Everybody, you know, not everybody doesn't always get the gig, you know? Um, and I think that a lot of people have a hard time dealing with that. I know that like I've auditioned for gigs and not get them or not gotten them. And I was like, man, you know, and it really, it messes with you for a minute and then you're like, all right, well, it probably wasn't the right gig for me or, you know, everything happens for a reason or maybe I was unprepared and, you know, you can usually pinpoint a reason why you didn't get the yeah. the gig or you can say, well, maybe it just wasn't meant to happen, you know. And if you're, and if you're unlucky enough that you don't have any failures um, or have very, very few, very little, you know, things to learn from like that, you know, you can go on and go on and be very, very successful until one day you do. Right, and then that that that'll totally take you out mm-hmm. because you won't be prepared for it, and you'll be so confident at that point already that like um, it, it, a failure will be so unprecedented, you know. Right, right. Um, and uh, it's kind of like if you're you know you're a kid and like you get you get sick. Say say uh, you don't say you don't get the chicken pox until you're you know seventy years old. Right, and then all of a sudden you do. Like it'll take you out. <laughs> you die from it. Yeah. You know? Um, but if you get sick a lot, like your body will build immunities and the right. uh, immune system will get stronger and stronger. And then it'll be able to deal with, you know, all kinds of illnesses later on. It's funny that you brought up, you know, things happening with kids, because I always think about that, how they don't keep score for like T-ball. You know? <laughs> right. and I'm like, no, they need, to, there has to be a losing team. Like <laughs> they, somebody has to lose, <laughs> you know, because you got to teach kids that you are going to lose sometimes, you know, you're, that's a good point. Everybody yeah. fails, you know, and you're not going to, you're not going to win. You can't win them all. As they say, you know, that's a good point. I, my, my, uh, my daughter isn't to the age quite for that yet, but, uh, but I, I, I like your reasoning on that. That makes sense. Right. Yeah. It's like, well, you lost. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. Because I feel like, yeah, they probably do it cause they don't, they don't want to give, yeah, have the kids feel like they've failed. Because right. you want to always be supporting them, supporting them. But actually, you can learn from that. That's a really good way to learn, and you learn to be a good sportsman too. Right. To congratulate the other team and and uh, you know kind of accept your loss and and uh, and that's really valuable. Yeah. Right. So how would I always ask this? How would you say you went from you know being 17, 18 years old, saying, "Okay, I'm going to do this as a career." Um, and you know, I really want to, I really want to be a professional musician and bridging that gap to, to where you are now, because I think that a lot of people fall short in the area where they're, you know, they're 18 and they're like, all right, I want to do this as a career. And they're playing in a band, you know, maybe they're playing covers at, at local pubs or whatever, you know, um, but they're weekend warriors and, and they really want to make a career out of it, but they're not exactly sure what steps they need to take to get there, to do touring work or work with bigger artists and do it as a career. How would you suggest that people do that and how did you do it? Um, you know, I mean, my primary concern uh, was getting getting to be a better player and, uh, and a better all-around musician. Mm-hmm. Um, and that really... Uh, 
I was I, I never really went through a lot of steps to be a professional musician or to get a certain gig or um, I mean you know I, I mean I obviously didn't turn things down but right. like but the point was I always believed that you know if I got good enough then um, opportunities you know opportunities would present themselves to me so like the if you build it they would come sort of philosophy. You are frozen. Oh, now you're not. You good? Yeah. What yeah, you that do? was weird. Yeah, same thing happened with you. Can you hear me now? Yeah, I hear you fine. Okay. So yeah. it's kind of like you kind of had like the if you build it, they will come philosophy. Yeah. Yeah. I, I would say that. I mean, um, you know, I just was, you know, concerned with with improving myself. And uh, and I and I just thought, I mean, I, you know, I, I saw the, the players around me and the and the players that I thought were, you know, brilliant you know great players were successful enough to you know to i mean it, it wasn't i don't know i wasn't thinking about that so much i was just thinking like my success was going to come from being really good right you know that's how i was going to feel good about myself and and feel successful and i you know i, I knew that i was already you know at the, at the time i was 16 17 i mean i was already playing like you know 50 dollar gigs around the city so I just figured, you know, if I had a few $50 gigs a week, I'd be okay. <laughs> right. <laughs> right. I wasn't really even, you know, I wasn't thinking about like money or, you know, um, success as far as like, you know, you're playing with so-and-so or, you know, anything like that. I just wanted to be as good as I could. Right. That's an interesting concept because I think a lot of, well, I don't want to say everybody, but a lot of people are like, well, you know, I just want to get this gig and, and get this gig. And you obviously have to have a certain talent level to get some of these higher end gigs, but it's interesting that that was kind of the uh, an afterthought. You know, the playing was first, which is which I think is really important. And a lot of people oversee those things. You know, um, yeah. I mean, I don't think that that's the benefit of starting young, too. Say that again. Is that you don't have to get? Uh, that's also the benefit of starting young, right? Right. Because you don't have to get too wrapped up in uh, in those kind of uh, things that you know we think about when we get older, like after right. we you know, go to college or, or whatever it is, we start thinking about these other things. But um, before then, it's, it's, it's a very innocent type of uh, um, approach. You know? mm -hmm. Yeah, absolutely. You were talking, I'm going to transition into your, your playing a little bit. You were, you were talking about always getting better. And I know that you have a very, you've a very, first of all, you have a very unique approach to playing in general, which I love. Um, and I've seen a couple of videos of you talking about playing melodically and how you approach, um, you know, playing, playing melody through the drums and not just playing boxy and, and really staccato. And it's something that, that I think is a little bit of the intangible when you're implying different feels and implying long and short notes on, on the drums. How did you practice that sort of thing? And how would you suggest that other people practice it and really playing melodically rather than just playing you know in a in a really boxy setting um well the 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 short answer is learn the songs that you're playing um uh -huh. be able to sing the melodies of the songs that you're playing right so if somebody asks you uh you know um okay you're playing uh i don't know pick a song um you know you, you know how does this song go right mm -hmm. like Okay, you, you want to you want to play this this specific song? You know how it goes? Yeah, I know how it goes. Right. Like that's maybe like what you 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 might hear yourself playing on the drums, but that doesn't that's not how the song goes. Like you you know you have to learn the melody of the songs that you're playing. Right. Uh, the more you you understand about what's going on with the other musicians, the the better musician you're going to be. Mm -hmm. um, so. That's the first thing that I would, you know, that I would suggest. Um, anytime that you have to, in a situation where you're learning a new song, um, you have to learn a new song for a band practice, whatever. Learn the melody, being be able to sing the melody. Practice singing it in the shower. Right. If, if it's a like a cover song or a standard, um, look up some different versions, of, you know, of the song. Listen to them and also try to sing the melody. Mm -hmm. um, now, let's take it. Let's take a tune, you know, like a, a fairly common tune that everybody knows. So let's say. Uh, let's say take the A train. Okay. Right. So say you had to learn that tune. You didn't know it, you know, and I handed you and I said, okay, we need to, we need to play this tune. So would you start going, going through the melody and actually trying to play the melody on the kit 
or would you just be, or would you just learn the melody and keep that in mind while you're, while you're swinging? Um, I, I wouldn't actually even keep it in mind. I, I would, uh, I would learn them. If I didn't know that song, I would, um, the first thing that I would do is, um, listen to the definitive recording of it, which is Duke Ellington's mm-hmm. band, you know, and probably find, you know, uh, one or two or three versions of that. And then, uh, go and listen to some other recordings that are maybe more recent of that song and see what other people have done with it. And, um, and so from that, I would have the melody in my head. And so once it's in your head and once it's like inside you, you know, when you're playing it, it really opens up all kinds of possibilities of what you can do with it. So, um, you know, me playing the mel- that melody on the drums it wouldn't be a step in my in my practicing, you know. That would be something like that would be more like a frills type of a thing, you know. Mm-hmm. And I, I, you know, I've learned to do to play melodies on the drums, and I've learned to, you know, to be able to learn songs pretty quickly doing that. So um, that's one that I haven't played, but I could work it out, you know, relatively quickly right, um, right. if I wanted to. But I might have to dictate what key it's in if I was going to actually play the the notes. Right. Um, so, so yeah, so playing it on the drums would, would either not come at all in that process or just come very, very late, um, depending on, you know, what I wanted to do with the song. But if I had an opportunity, I mean, the way that that, you know, that that happened for me, like playing melodies on the drums was just, a, it's just very kind of a natural thing. Like, uh, um, you know, first I know, I knew the songs, so right. I knew a lot of songs. Um, I had a lot of songs in my head. I could sing them. I had played them many, many times and listened to them. So um, that was a good start. And then at that point, I had an opportunity in, uh, let's see, I'm just trying to think of, there was a, there was like a, somebody's recital, senior recital that I was playing on. And uh, they said, hey, do you want to play the melody to Confirmation? And I said, uh, well, I could try, you know, and it, I, I had played it before just on the snare. Mm-hmm. And then while I was, you know, kind of working on it a little bit, I thought, oh, um, maybe I'm going to try to play it on the drums. And and I worked it out. I worked out the, a way to, to do it. Now, it wasn't – that was before I was doing exact pitches, but it, it had the contour of the melody. Right. Um, and from, you know, realizing that I could do the contour of the melody, uh, then the realization came that I could actually play the exact pitches of the melody. Right. Um, and then I realized oh, I had to really re- relearn that song in order to do it, which I never really did uh, because I learned it. I learned it that way. It was, you know, it's like the first thing that you learn. You're never going to kind of forget that. Right, right, right. Um, even if it's not really the most practical way to do it. But um, but I did it with other songs at that point. And right. uh, so, you know, having the opportunity to to actually perform something like that just gave me a little kick to to learn it. So you've gone through and actually had your – had your kit tuned to where you're playing the exact notes on the kit. Yep. Really? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Hmm. For a lot of songs. Hmm. Um, uh, I got the, the, the recent one that's on my last record is, uh, uh, Monin that I did that for. Nice. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, I, I mean, there's a, there's a video I have, it's called melodic drumming mm-hmm. and it's, um, it talks about, you know, the way that I do that, how I tune the drums, different ways to tune the drums, and then how to go about learning a song and uh, all that stuff. It's it's over three hours long. <laughs> nice. It's epic. <laughs> and I'll, I'll definitely put the uh, put that in the in the show notes for this, too, on the site okay. so people can check it out. Um, yeah, the melodic, you know, melodically playing is something I think it's a little bit hard to teach people. Or not necessarily to teach people, but for people to to grasp the concept of, because drums are such. I don't want to say they're a staccato instrument, but like you said, when you're like, "Yeah, I can play the song," boom, doom, ka, doom, 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 ka, doom, doom, you know, and it's like you're not you're not hearing the melody. So, you know, trying to figure out exactly how to play those melodies or how to hear it differently. Did you ever do any? like aural exercises or anything like that to try to say, okay, let me try to get out of like just playing a beat. And let me try to get into actually playing the tune. Um, no, because it was the the natural thing for me was that I the tune was always first. Right. Um, so I mean, just from the background that I had, you know, I mean, this isn't something that I gave to myself. This is just something that 
you know, that I was lucky enough to kind of start with that, uh, um, singing in general, uh, was something that was very prevalent in my family growing up. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, my father is a choral conductor and he's a voice teacher oh, okay. and, uh, and, you know, classical, but you know, he's also you know, really into folk music. Um, and, uh, you know, the same with my mom too. So, you know, singing and, and, and all that was always, I mean, that just happened, you know, all right. the time. Can't sing, uh, can't play it, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, that's, you know, that, that's, that's the idea. I mean, you can play it, but the thing is that you won't have a strong connection to it. Mm-hmm. Um, if you don't, if you, if you, if you don't really have it in here. And I, I feel like, you know, some people, if they're just playing a drum beat and they don't really know the song, their connection to the music is weaker. Right. They're not able to really understand what's going on with, you know, the, the overall thing, um, mm-hmm. the other musicians and how the other musicians are relating to the song itself. And once you can do that, um, you know, it doesn't matter how fast you can play. It doesn't matter, like, a, you know, a lot of these things that seem to matter to drummers, like, really don't matter. Um, what really matters is the connection that you have with the song. Right. Um, because that actually makes a huge difference in the music. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Especially when you get to a, a solo section and you have to solo. So what do you, you're either going to play the melody or, you know, play music, or you're just going to blow and just say, hey, check out all these licks that I practiced in my basement that musically have no bearing on the tune whatsoever. Mm-hmm. You know? Yeah, exactly. So it's like that's the that's what makes Steve Gadd, Steve Gadd, or Elvin Jones, Elvin Jones, or, you know, because those guys can just play the tune no matter what, you know? I love drinking a beer at 10.55 a.m. It's not a beer. <laughs> oh, come on. You can tell me. <laughs> it's a gift. <laughs> I had I actually put a I put a picture up a while ago of on Facebook of this espresso that I made, and my buddy said, "Oh, I thought that was a Guinness at seven thirty. I was like, "It was." <laughs> well, <laughs> but, you are drinking it in a beer stein. No, it's a it's a coffee mug. It's oh, just yeah? a, it's just a clear coffee mug. Oh, okay. Come on, man. <laughs> it's early. It's only ten fifty. <laughs> Not before noon. No beers before noon. <laughs> This is vodka, though. This in this cup. Oh. <laughs> Jeez. Anyway, before I start slurring, um, so the next, the one thing I really want to talk about is the new symbol line that you have coming out. Uh, I played him at Nam, and I've been hearing about him for a while. I'm a Bosphorus artist as well, so I've been really interested to check these things out and heard him at Nam. They sound great. I'm actually going to pick up a, a set of the hi hats. Um, so, but I wanted to, I wanted you to kind of explain where that idea came from, how that whole thing happened. And also how do you design a symbol or how do you design a symbol line? Because I think it's, you know, it's hard to, hard well, to uh, figure out. Is, first of all, anybody that's designed a symbol line has to go through, it's usually two, one and a half to two years of training, um, full-time right. classes to right. understand, uh, you know, the mathematics days. involved in the, uh, throwing metal in, in fire and then throwing metal in water. Right. <laughs> <laughs> Which you are now an expert of. We would like to. Yes. Point out. I have, I have taken the course and, um, and then whoever does, whoever gets, you know, uh, 3.8 or higher, <laughs> you know, gets considered to have their own symbol line. Um, no. Okay. <laughs> Um, you know, the, the, the truth of it is, is that, uh, um, I, I mean, you know, Bosphorus, uh, approached me and, um, they, you know, they were looking for, oh, they were, you know, they were curious about me endorsing them. I was with Zildjian at that time. And, mm-hmm. uh, um, uh, so I, you know, I wasn't really, you know, necessarily interested, but, um, they said, you know, we want to do a line with you. We want to, you know, fly you out to Istanbul and to, you know, have you work on, you know, work on a, you know, a symbol or some symbols. And okay, well, what does that mean? Well, I was kind of curious because I, I lived there for a, a time when I was about 22 um, in Istanbul and I wanted to go back. I oh, really? Yeah, hmm. I hadn't been back since. So, oh, and I, I was, I was in the area. So I, I thought, okay, well, why not check it out? So, um, just to, just to see. I wasn't expecting that I was going to become a Bosphorus artist at that time. I, I just uh, I was just taking advantage of, you know, 
uh, of a possibility. And um, I mean, basically, what you know, what I did was I did bring a, a few symbols with me that um, you know that I really liked and that I was playing at the time. And uh, I had I had the experience with Zildjian a few times that I you know that I brought them. Um, like for instance, I brought Zildjian. This uh, Z- Zildjian was was very cool with me because. They actually, even though I endorsed them full time and they would sponsor, you know, clinics and stuff like that, they, they weren't, they didn't give like they, it wasn't a problem for me if I, you know, played other symbols, right? Um, or even if I played other my own symbols that were not Zildjian, like they, you know, they were like, oh, whatever, you know, it's okay. Mm-hmm. Um, so I had this, uh, um, it was a minor, and it was a dragon, minor dragon symbol, mm-hmm. um, and. Uh, and so I brought that into Zildjian and I said, like, can you make, you know, can you, can you make, basically make this symbol for me? And, you know, they said, well, well, it's going to be hard, but we'll, we'll try. And they, they did, they did try to kind of replicate it, but it didn't come close to what that, that, that symbol was. Mm-hmm. Um, so I just kept playing that symbol. And um, the symbols that I brought into Bosphorus, like they, I mean, they had, like, they, about symbol making or very very little i kind of try to avoid that type say, of say that again you cut out there for a second i, I just said I, I i know you know close to nothing about about the you know symbol making um, right. that's probably more than i know about it yeah yeah and the only reason that i know that it's close is because i went there and i did learn you know a thing or two right but um but basically my input was you know what does it sound like and um how can it sound better Mm-hmm. Or are we even in the right ballpark? Right. So, so basically, the process was they would bring me a bunch of symbols, and I would say no, 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 no. Well, that one is okay, but it's uh, it's too bright. Mm-hmm. And so then they would take that, and then they would take it back into the factory. And then about ten or fifteen minutes later, they would come back out, and they'd say, "Try it now." And I was like, "Yeah, it's it's it's, it's less bright now, but it's too heavy, or it's too loud, right. or it's too." Um, uh, sh- shiny, or mm-hmm. it's it's not uh, present enough, or it doesn't have enough of a um, of a uh, attack to it, or um, you know it doesn't have uh, ridges in the sides that my brushes can play, or you know all the th- possible things that you can think of to say about a symbol that's that you can you know make it better that it's not good enough. Like they would take everything that I would say and they would go back in and they would change it. Every time, hmm. and they would come back, and it would sound better and better. And they would literally do what I, what I, what I would say. Mm-hmm. So, um, in throughout that pro, and there wasn't just one guy going back and forth with one symbol. You're talking right. about like you know twenty symbols coming in and out in a big circle, right. <laughs> like a. a, a uh, what's it called? A line of uh, yeah. You're like, can so- I keep all these when we're? T- <laughs> <laughs> Um, well, at that point, like, you know, they, I wouldn't even want, I've wanted to. You right, know? right. Um, but by the end of, uh, of that day, you know, we got, we got a couple things that were pretty close and pretty nice. Um, and, uh, and there was one symbol in particular that was a 24 that, you know, that I really thought had like a kind of a unique type of a sound to it. Um, although it was still kind of heavier than maybe that I, than I was thinking, but, um, so anyway, that's, you know, that's, that's what the process is in reality, you know? Mm-hmm. And then of course they, you know, they'll say, oh, you know, Ari Hone designed the symbol. Well, you know, they, they, every, all the, you know, whenever somebody makes a line, like they'll, they'll say that, but right. in reality, it's just pretty much what I described. Right. Um, which, I, which you did design it, you know, well, you, there's a, there's a, there, there's definitely a big input that I, I mean, I mean, there, there's a huge input, but, um, but they, you know, they have the skill, uh, right. to, to pretty much do what I'm asking. And, mm-hmm. and I was, so, you know, when I, you know, after my, my trip there, I was very impressed by, by how they worked and, right. uh, um, by their skill. I just thought they were very, very skillful. Um, and, uh, and they, I mean, they basically operate out of this factory that's burnt down. It's right. not a factory. It's a the fa- their factory is a barn that's that's burnt. It's burned down. Like <laughs> it's a burned down barn. <laughs> it doesn't have doors. It doesn't have heat. Doesn't have 
Um, I mean, there's only electricity in this one little back room. Like, it is Middle Ages. Right. And um, Yeah, I've seen the videos. I've never oh, been there, but I've seen the videos. Uh, and they, you know, they do it. I mean, they, the, the, the main guys have a lot of experience and, and they have a lot of skill. And mm-hmm. so actually the, the line as it is, I, I hadn't heard until I got to Nam. Oh, really? Yeah. I mean, I had, I had, of course, heard what they've been working on, but I hadn't really heard like the exact ones. until I got there. I got you. Um, in this case, mm-hmm. but, uh, you know, and they kept telling me, oh, it's going to be better than, you know, it's, it's going to even be better than you, in, than you think it's going to be. And I'm like, yeah, right. Whatever. <laughs> you know? Um, but you know, in fact, like I, I was, I was really, really pleased and symbols are, 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 are funny in that, you know, they grow, it can grow on you too. Right. Um, it's not just like, you know, that I have this one exact sound in my head and it has to be that and that's it. And I'll always have it. It's not really quite that, you know, right, it's, right. Um, you, 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 to, to play, to me, to like, to play a cymbal well, like you have to play it for six months or, you know, a year just to really know. You froze. I was really impressed. And I also said, uh, I also told you f- them that you froze there for a second. Oh, you said to play a symbol. Well, you got to play it for six months and then, Oh, six months or a year. Yeah. Just to really get the possibilities of the symbol. Right. Um, and, uh, and really feel comfortable with it. Like it's, it's, you own it, you know, right. Like you right. really can control it. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, all that stuff kind of comes into play with it. But, uh, but anyway, to, to, to kind of sum, sum it up, I mean, I was really happy with what they did. And, uh, um, so I, you know, I think they, they, you know, they got a hell of a line there. Um, so what's all in the line? Now? Oh, there's uh well, there's a 23 inch ride and a 19 inch ride, or you could call it ride crash with rivets. And they actually, it comes with rivets. Okay. Um, which is uh, what I suggested because uh, I think it makes it easier for a lot of guys, you know, yeah, um, that don't know how to put rivets in a cymbal. So, um, and then there's the the hats, which are 14s, and then there's going to be another one that they're going to add to it, um, which which is uh, something that they came out of that they, they, you know, that they've been working on, which I thought sounded great too. Which is kind of like, I guess it's kind of like a crash ride. Um, I don't know that I'm going to use all those in one gig, but um, uh, but all in all, it's right at this point. It's two rides and high hats, and it's it's. There's going to I think they're going to incorporate one more. Nice. Today. And the hat sound. I mean, the whole symbol line sounds great. Um, but I really I fell in love with the hats when I was there, and I was like, yeah. I talked to Emmer, and I was like, oh, can I can I get these now? And he was like, well, you know, they should be available soon. So good. Um, so where do where would people be able to get them? Um, well, in, in a dealer that deals Bosphorus, I mean, online is probably your, the best you know, bet. another bet. A lot of people have been going to, uh, to, to like listen to the Bosphorus website to listen to, um, sound clips of specific symbols right. and then they'll send them. Right. Um, some people do it that way. Um, you know, just, uh, I think you might have to do a little bit of research because right. I think their distribution in the U S is not. Um, uh, it, it, it exists, but it's, uh, it's, it's low. Right. So right. you kind of have to, uh, be a little bit proactive about it. You're not going to go into, um, you know, guitar center and, you know, and find it. Right. right. Um, it, it's, uh, it's more of a specialty type of thing. But, you know, uh, and that's, I don't know if you remember this, but I contacted you a while ago cause I was kind of asking you the same thing that, you know, I signed with Bosphorus and then I was like, well, where can I go to hear some symbols that I want to, because I was already playing Bosphorus, but I wanted some new symbols, but the distribution here isn't what it used to be just because of, you know, different business dealings. And so now it's hard to kind of find the symbol that you want. You know, you can't just walk into a dealer and say, Oh, I really like the symbol. Okay. I'm going to buy this. Um, but Emmer was really cool about it. He's like, just tell me what you want and I'll make it, you know? And if, if, uh, if you get something and you don't like the sound of it, send it back and we'll, you know, we'll send you another one, which was cool. Mm -hmm. So. Yeah, yeah, yeah. They're very personal. Mm-hmm. Absolutely, very personal and you know, eager to please. Mm-hmm. 
So other than the uh, the symbol stuff, I know you have a, a bunch of other stuff going on. Um, so what else? What else would you like to tell us that you have going on? Well, um, I uh, I don't even know what to say. I mean, I I'm, well, you I, have this. You have the smalls thing. Every you have the smalls gig every right. Monday. I play at Smalls uh, on Mondays when I'm in town, um, and that uh, usually starts at 10, and that's my band. I've been doing it for about probably eight years now, eight, nine years, long time. Nice. Um, and so, you know, it gives me a good opportunity to work out, you know, my band or different bands, um, and, you know, it's my original music, so I, I encourage people to come out. Um, my last record is called Lines of Oppression, and... Uh, um, that's, you know, it's available in the normal, I think, um, ways that people get CDs. Mm-hmm. Um, couple educational things. Uh, one is a book called systems, um, which is, uh, published by Alfred, which is more or less a, a, a book about jazz coordination. Mm-hmm. Um, volume two will probably be some, about something slightly different, but, um, it's 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 coordination and and essentially melodic coordination. Right. Uh, I have another uh, video that's pretty recent, um, just uh, out. It's, it's through a website called mymusicmasterclass.com, and it's it's called uh, rhythm training or something something involved in rhythm. I can't remember the exact title right now, but that's. Uh, that's really my approach to, you know, to learning rhythm and to getting better with rhythm. And, um, it's, it's pretty highly recommended. I, I've been lately giving it to all, all my students, um, because it's the building blocks of, you know, how we relate to improvisation. Right. And, um, and I, I, there's a couple books that I did, uh, earlier on called the metric modulations. Maybe some, some of you have heard of those, but, um, there's, uh, there's, couple volumes of those and 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 that's i that i wrote with a bass player um but i realized that it's it's our it's it's an advanced book and um and the, the second volume is even more advanced it's really uh i i think that you know what happens is like people end up picking it up that are weak in rhythm because it's gonna help them um you know be able to metrically modulate and all that stuff but the problem is that those are the people that um, that actually it's going to be too hard for. Right. Um, and, uh, <laughs> those are the so, people that shouldn't be worried about metric modulation yet. Right. Exactly. Like, Wait a minute. Let's it's, ease into that. So I made this video in, in order to really take it from the beginning and, um, and, you know, just kind of show how, how I would develop uh rhythm in general. And, right. um, you know, you can, you can kind of, that, that's can be at any level, but, uh, but the, the, the fundamentals of it is, um, is basic, but I think it's really important. So, uh, so I'd recommend that, you know, for, I mean, and not, not just for drummers, uh, but, uh, probably even especially for, um, non, non drummers, um, uh-huh. vocalists, it would be great for vocalists. Right, you know? right. Um, and all the stuff that you're mentioning, I'm going to, I'll list all of this on the show notes so that people can access it. So they have direct links to, to all this information. Okay, nice. Great. So, so my shoe, my next, my shoe line is coming out, and uh, <laughs> I have a. I'm working on a, a vodka line. Maybe I'll get you. <laughs> <laughs> it, it lets you hover over the snow without actually <laughs> having to walk on it. <laughs> it's kind of like what? a jetpack shoe. Right. <laughs> I like it. Sign me up for at least two pair. <laughs> Uh, so one last question for you. What I always ask people: What piece of advice they would have for for someone coming up, or you know, that's that's even that's even playing regularly now. If you have some imparting words of advice for people, uh, sure. Um, listen to a lot of music. Play along to records. Um, you know, be proactive, be active about what you're doing, uh, practice a lot, listen a lot. And, uh, you know, it's okay to obsess for certain amounts of time over something. Right. That's good advice. Cause I think all of us, uh, obsessed with things, you know, once in a while and you're like, man, am I, is am I spending too much time on this or am I, you know, but if I, I love obsessing about things, but maybe you're not going to obsess about the same thing, 
you know, permanently, but it's like, you know, you do obsess about something for a couple of weeks or a couple of months and then maybe something else. Right. Right. And it's, it's just a good way to learn, you know, understand the, you know, the fundamentals of how you learn, how we learn as humans, like how, what, what, what do we go through to learn? How can, how can you teach yourself in a, in a, in a way that, um, is, you know, structured and, um, uh, um, you know, makes sense. Like, uh, how do you learn a skill? Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, playing music or playing drums, um, you know, comes along with that. I mean, it's, it's one of the things that, you know, that we can learn at, we can get better and uh, just the same as, you know, playing pool or mm-hmm. ping pong or, you know, um, uh, learning about trigonometry, whatever it is that you, you know, that you want to learn about, um, the ways to, to kind of teach yourself kind of remain very similar. Right. I think. Totally agree. Totally agree. Ari, thank you so much, man. I really appreciate you spending all this, spending all this time, um, hanging out and chatting. Um, good luck on the road and hopefully your flight gets out. And, uh, again, thank you so much, man. I, I really appreciate you taking some time with us today. Yeah, Nick. Thanks, man. Um, it was a pleasure. Cool. And I'll be, uh, I'll be talking to you soon. Okay. All right. Thanks, buddy. All right. See you. So there you have it. Ari Honig. Hope you guys got some good information out of that. I know I definitely did. You can check him out, arihonig.com, A-R-I-H-O-E-N-I-G.com. And I'll also list all of his information on the show notes, which will be drummersresource.com forward slash session 18. Be sure to visit drummersresource.com and facebook.com forward slash drummersresource. And if you could leave a review or a comment on iTunes, that would be greatly, greatly appreciated. Or if you have some friends that you think would dig this podcast, just send it on over to them. And if you want to get at me directly, you can reach me on Twitter at Nick underscore Ruffini, R-U-F-F-I-N-I. And until next time, keep drumming. Thank you so much for listening. I truly appreciate it. I'll be talking to you soon. Peace. (laughs) 